0: Welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high level equipment setup and tuning. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. It's an awesome morning. It's going to be a great day? How do I know that? Because I'm going to make it that. That's why. I'm really excited. It's been an awesome few weeks. I've been swamped. I've been just blasted with things to do and being late uh, constantly because more and more things are being put on my table. But as much as I hate being being late to certain things they were pretty much my own thing so that's why it didn't matter too much but I just like being busy I like having things to do and I like the excitement of everything that's on the horizon Um, right now we are one day past the launch of the knock on arrows and I couldn't be more excited about how that launch went Uh, I apologize to everyone who was in full panic mode when the site crashed. We thought we had done everything possible to prevent that. Uh, Luckily, we have gone through this in the past with um, Noctuits. So we had our IT buddy on standby. So as soon as there was uh, the site crash, we were able to call him, him, get it back going again. But there was about 15 minutes there where... My phone was just lighting up from uh, anyone who had my text or uh, my cell number. They were texting me, and uh, all, the f- all the notifications on Sharon's phone was going bonkers. So I apologize if you didn't get some of the arrows. Um, just to confirm, yeah, there was uh, a couple sizes that just got wiped out. Uh, Some people ordered, you know, I don't know if people were worried about not getting them ever again, but there was definitely some large orders from individuals, which is probably how I would have done it. I mean, if I'm honest, I normally if I find something I like, like, for example, a pair of shoes or boots or something or or here's a good example my sherlock site when they made the hunting version if i wouldn't have been my normal self then when that site came out dang near 20 years ago now and i wouldn't have splurged and bought like five of them um then i wouldn't have one right now so yeah i think that's what people did i think they decided to just go all in And I think everyone's going to be really, really happy with what they're getting. I know I sent out, I sent out about twenty dozen to um, good friends of mine that I trust and value their opinion. I sent them out early because I wanted to to try a few things. One, I wanted to make sure uh, they shipped okay, and wanted to get everyone's opinion. So seems pretty awesome feedback's been consistent with what I personally felt so I kind of want to talk a little bit about that today but I also just want to dive into some of the some of the things that I've been seeing lately in archery and some of the feelings that I've been having lately uh in archery which are all positive they're good things um Because I think it's important. I want to make sure all of you out there know that you're doing a really, really good job right now of growing and learning. And um, I think just getting out there and attempting to tackle things on your own. The amount of people I saw at the Total Archery Challenge that came up to me and showed me the first bow that they set up themselves and wanted my opinion on it. I mean you guys could have you guys could have easily been working at the archery shop that I started at because your work is far better than mine was when I worked there back when I was 18 or 17 or however old I was. But I'm just really really grateful to see the amount of people out there that are able to start working on their own equipment for the first time uh and then be able to just ask intelligent questions as well about you know what i think and and i can tell that you've tried and you've put forth effort because you'll say you know is this okay because i was a little bit worried about such and such and you know i was trying to do it as you said but i was kind of running into this little the fact that you're doing that means you're really putting in the time and Honestly, those types of questions are the ones that I really want to spend time and value giving feedback to. Um, It's no different than a teacher at school. The students that are putting forth the effort and when that teacher sees that effort being put forth, then they're going to go out of their way to help you continue to grow and learn. And that's really where I'm at. I feel like it's an important part of any athlete's uh, I guess sport for them to to learn a little bit about the equipment and to learn to be able to be self-sufficient because a lot of times as competitors you're on the road a lot and you don't want to be at the mercy of either only your coach being able to work on your bow or your dad Um, I've seen this a lot with with archers that are just completely dependent on their coaches setting up their bow or I've seen a lot of uh, you know junior archers where their dad does everything and I think it's great that you have that trust and that you're in that position to be able to have someone that knows how to do that work on that but I also think there's a fine line there between having some of your own knowledge is also very valuable um, because it just it can help with confidence because there are people especially in competition that like to throw some Jedi mind tricks on you and you know question how your bows performing or question why you know it looks like your knocks are too tight or you know something like that whichever and you having the knowledge, about that, yourself is going to really help your confidence, and I think overall it helps you learn what really is the best for you because you're able to experiment and you're able to go out and try this vein versus that vein, or try this amount of fletchings versus that amount of fletchings. Um, since I switched over to the four fletch the amount of people that are tagging me with four fletch arrows is unreal. I mean, it's awesome. And I think it's great that that all of you out there who are doing that are actually testing the difference between a b c and d and then learning what the each of those does for you because those little things are what promotes growth and also just helps you check off the things that are kind of a waste of your time Um, and I do that a lot there's a lot of subjects where I just don't go down the road um, and don't argue the I guess the opposite side very much just because I've I've just done it enough to know it doesn't work for me and I'm not going to say it doesn't work for someone. Um, that's one of the things that, that I guess a subject I've been on lately um, with Aaron Snyder was just front of center or FOC. We did a podcast uh, f- with him with this Kefaru podcast. We did one with the knock on podcast. And now the other day we did another one for his Kafaru podcast again. And, kind of as a follow-up, because this has been um, a multi-week rabbit hole that he's been diving down with a magnitude of people, and he kind of said, I'd like to wrap it up with you again at the end. So we had a cool podcast. Make sure you check that out. But I'm sitting here still dealing with some of these things myself with people that are sending in questions about front of center and about, uh, you know, how much point weight they like and different things like that. And I think all of it's, I think all of it's great. I think if you've tried a lot of those different things and know what really works best for you, then you're on the right track. I know that I've also got along really, really well with, with the way that I've done it for a long time too. Um, So, yeah, I try to try new things continually so that I can give all of you my feedback. But I'm also a big advocate of simplicity and just sticking with things that have been kind of foolproof, bulletproof over the years. And one of my buddies sent me a message last night because he got one of the early batches of arrows. Well, I sent 20 out to friends and he just couldn't believe how much better his arrows spun just with the new broadhead adapter rings um that come standard with the the Knock-On Arrow series. So I told him I'm like, "Man, these are the small little details that you know, it's I can't sit there and argue um for too long why, you know, a, a a $15 bag of something makes such a difference, but it does. I mean, it really does. And are there other things out there that make differences? Yeah, there definitely could be, but I'm also a big advocate of simplicity. Like, you know, that's why I have a 20-year-old sight. That's why I'm still shooting uh, an older version of a stabilizer, because I just like how it feels. I like the response of it. I like how it deadens my bow. Um, And I like the weight of it, you know, with with the arrow rest um, that I'm shooting, the knock-on elevate, I've really, once I've set it up and figured out exactly my process of where I can set it up and move it to, I can just fly through those things and set them up super quick and the results are super consistent. So that's why I do it that way with the fletchings i've tried a lot of different ones that's probably one of the things i try the most just because i found that some bows and the speeds they produce and and the knock travels or i don't know just the natural the natural engineering design of the bow just for some reason like slightly different things and right now i'm shooting a four-fletch on my arrows and really really like it Um, really like the results so that's what I'm going with one of the most common questions that I got for the past two weeks is which arrow should I shoot if I'm right on the line between one size and and another size And I want to make sure people understand a few things there. One, there is a video. There's two videos that I put out on YouTube in the last week. One is the knock on arrow series explained. And the other one, um, is the assembly of the knock on arrow series. So I want to make sure you guys watch both of those videos. Just because they each have their own distinct purpose, the one that just explains the arrows and how they work, it kind of talks you through a lot of different things, including how to how to actually read the chart and follow the chart. Um, because some people confuse their draw length with arrow length for the chart, so they'll see, you know, they'll see that it, that they're looking for. A 32 inch or a 33 inch draw or that's what their draw is and instead of knowing their arrow length they're just looking and saying well it doesn't say that there's an arrow that's going to work for me your draw length is measured one and three quarter inches well the standard anyway should be one and three quarter inches from the pivot point of the bow so right where your hand fits in the saddle of the grip Um, it's one it's measured one and three quarter inches in front of that so if you had your arrow cut to where the arrow was cut and sitting almost right directly over the top of your hand um, it's going to be about an inch and three quarters shorter anyway than your what your draw length should measure Uh, just to give you an example um, I shoot just under 31 inches for my draw length, but my arrow is 29. Um, So I cut my arrow, I cut my arrow, I don't know, about a, probably about a half to three quarters of an inch, uh, probably three quarters of an inch, I guess, for sure, um, forward of where my launcher blade or my whale tail is holding it. And that's actually just putting the back edge of my broadhead right over the top of my hand. I don't like it behind my hand. Uh, it's still in a safe place within the riser. So if your arrows are at that length, obviously it's different than your draw length. And two inches on an arrow chart is quite a bit. Two inches in arrow length um, is does quite a bit for how that arrow reacts um and that's why if you look at some of the women shooters who shoot in indoor competition their bows that are set up to shoot bigger arrows like twenty three fifteens or something like that even some of the men pro um they leave their arrows longer because of the fact they're trying to Weaken that arrow just enough to where when they're shooting their lower poundage for target archery, they're able to get that arrow to properly match their bow and perform the best. So, you know, I've seen a lot of top level shooters that are shooting a 2315 at, at, at a full length arrow, it's got a you know five six inches overhanging off the front of their bow, but they're doing that because of the fact that a 2315 arrow. Is really an arrow made for about a 70-pound bow, and they're out there shooting 60 pounds. So in order to get that arrow to give them the best results, what they found is by keeping that arrow longer, um, you know, it's it's being it's it's a little bit weaker um, in regards to how it's responding to that bow. So with your arrows, keep that in mind. Don't just pay attention to your draw length what we need to know is the arrow length from cut to cut. That's what you need to know. Um, So if you have an arrow now and you're, you know, if you're looking to get new arrows, you're looking at that chart. If you have an arrow now, pull it back on your bow and ask yourself, the question is, does this arrow have too much overhang? Uh, Or are you accept you know, do you accept, how much overhang it has and if the answer is yes then obviously that's the measure you go with and if you're right on the bubble um what do you do so you have a couple options um one option is if you did say you did have an extra inch of arrow shaft hanging over then what your option would be would be to to go to the to the weaker spine of the two on the chart so in other words if you're between a 300 and a 340 you could favor the 340 as long as you're willing to cut that extra inch off the arrow shaft Um, the other option too if you're not a a big advocate of needing the front of center um, but if you like say you say you like the characteristics of a full metal jacket but it starts to get just a little bit too heavy for you then what you could do is you could actually um, use an aluminum insert that's why we sell the aluminum inserts as well I think a lot of people are going to definitely benefit from the brass uh, but some people may not it's kind of a it's kind of a back and forth Uh, but you can shorten the arrow which will definitely help um get that more favorable to your side of things you can also um also recognize once you're adding some extra weight to that arrow you're also slightly stiffening uh or you know giving that arrow a characteristics of slightly stiffening in a little bit so if you're the one thing the arrow chart does not factor in is wraps vein choice and if you're shooting a lighted knock so if you're shooting a lighted knock obviously that's a little bit more weight which does help stiffen up the arrow because it's the back end of that arrow is absorbing um kind of that that thrust of the of the bowstring um and that extra weight's kind of helping it's helping that uh absorb some of that acceleration so it's it's not uh Flexing the arrow as much, but um, if you are going to shoot a lighted knock, or my arrow is a perfect example. I have, I have wraps, and I'm shooting a th- a four fletch with a three inch vein and a lighted knock. So, I've got um, a decent amount of rear weight, and because of that, I'm actually still able to shoot that 300 spine. Even though, according to the chart, I'm really on the edge of a 300 or a 260, um, and I know that, and I also know that as long as I don't shoot a, over um, about you know 74 pounds, I can get away with that 300. But as soon as I decide to go heavier than that, I've got to get into that 260. Uh, so all that stuff factors in. If you're right on the on the bubble and If you, you know, right now I know certain sizes are sold out, but if you're on the bubble and you're wanting to try, then, you know, kind of think about that. Think about if you're going to be putting some weight on the back of that arrow. If you are going to shoot lighted knocks, uh, wraps, and a longer vein or multiple veins, then uh, I think you're still going to be okay. Otherwise, especially if you're willing to... Play around with your poundage just a little bit. If you aren't set in your mind of I have to shoot this bow at 70 pounds exactly, then you know one and a half or two pounds difference on the bow is going to do a lot to how that arrow responds, but not a lot uh, according to what that arrow does downrange um, in regards to to penetration. So all those things are super important and relative. The other thing is um there was quite a few people who missed out on the 260 spine arrows. Um just so everyone knows, we did we do have a lot of a lot more arrows ordered. Uh so hopefully those will be well, they're supposed to be here um within 4 weeks. So that's that's the hope is that they're here before uh, the w- main whitetail season kicks off and everything. And even even the elk season, people will be able to start getting some, some backup sets or build you a, a perfect set for elk season too. But um, the other thing that I saw at the Total Archery Challenge was the amount of people that were out there really starting to understand the release aid and how a release aid works and the differences between a tension release and a thumb button release and a hinge release these are things i mean honestly people these are things as a pro that they were conversations that i would have with with people like like randy ulmer or someone like that back when i was shooting pro there weren't a lot of quote-unquote amateur archers that had the understanding of these multiple things like we do now it was really um, fun for me to have intelligent conversations with people that were just literally mountain hunters that you know love hunting they're trying they're trying to educate themselves as much as possible right now just to be better hunters and Understanding the release aid is one of the most important things that you can do. And that's why, honestly, that little um, right release trainer that, that we sell, the reason I sell that is because I feel like people, like it's such a valuable training tool and it's really inexpensive. But it allows you to... Without the pressure of your bow and worrying about an arrow going off, it allows you to learn the differences of hand position on the face, how your hand should be seated in the release, um, with the silverback when you let off the safety. You know how how you can pull through certain shots and have differences in in feel just based off like your starting hand position, and it helps you learn things like what I call preload, which is how much pressure you have against that string before you've let off the safety. And just practicing with the string and that grip, it really helps you start to connect the dots and learning. It's not just learning how hard you have to pull back. One of the things that your brain will actually start to learn is... How much pressure is actually, how much pressure your fingers that are holding the release, how much pressure they're feeling at first when you're tugging on that rope. Because, you know, when you're pulling on that release trainer, it's going to have as much Back wall pressure as you're putting on it. It's not like a bow where when you pull it back and you have a 70 pound bow and it breaks over, that you're just sitting at 14 pounds on the back wall all the time. With that shot trainer, you can either put 10 pounds of pressure against that rope or you can pull and put 20 or 30 pounds of pressure against that rope. And when you go to let off the safety, uh, especially on a silverback, You're going to immediately see differences in how much, how hard you have to pull to get it to fire beyond that point, or um, you're going to realize kind of that sweet spot. And it's not just learning the pressure on the trigger, it's also learning the pressure of the release within the hand itself and learning the pressures of like transfer so how much pressure is on your index finger versus your middle finger or are you all of a sudden feeling you know if you're not shooting one of our releases are you you know all of a sudden feeling more pinky pressure this time than last time all that stuff is really really important and then also learning the pressures of the bow grip on the front hand too and and understanding okay, all of a sudden I feel like I have a lot more pressure higher on my thumb bone this time, or wait, this time I feel like I'm deep, deep into my palm, or I feel like I've maybe turned my thumb more vertical, and I can feel the grip going across my hand more than in the pocket. Um, Those are little bitty details that go a long way, and... At the Total Archery Challenge, the amount of people that were asking me about that and then pulling their little right release out of their pocket and being like, okay, so kind of here's where I'm at now. And I said, yeah, that's, man, that is perfect. And what a lot of you need to do, and it's unfortunate that I'm not able to get around to give people this assurance, but what a lot of you out there need to do now is just Puts the time behind exactly what you're doing. There's so many of you that I saw that look three times better than I did when I first started competing. Um, and the, the key there is once you've got that foundation laid and you've got that base and you've got that understanding, then from there it's just, it's just time. It's just time and repetition of just trusting it and doing it and doing it with confidence and not allowing any seed of doubt to come in with you know target anticipation or any seed of doubt that you know it, s- small seeds of doubt can do they can gr- they can grow and manifest into big big things and and small things like. Not knowing which arrow you should choose, you know, am I a 300 or am I a 340? And then all of a sudden, you go out on the tournament, or you go out anywhere, and because you haven't put in the time or the effort or the due diligence into preparation, all of a sudden you get out there and you know you make a bad shot in camp, or you know you make a bad shot on the arrow, and then all of a sudden the seated doubt comes in. Well. Um, You know, or sorry, make a bad shot on an animal. um, Seated out comes in. Well, you know, I think my arrows are too weak. You know, don't don't fall victim to being able to fall back on blaming your gear. That's just a crutch. I can tell you that someone that's done their homework and their due diligence, they're going to be further ahead, uh, regardless of the equipment. Versus someone that hasn't. And as much as it's important. To have the right arrow selected. If you're right on the edge. Of a 300 or 340. You could choose either one. And if you're prepped. And go out there. You're still going to be able to make lethal shots. Now are you going to be able to go on. A a world archery circuit. And compete with people that aren't. Missing 10 rings. No. Probably not. But in the hunting world and you know shooting shooting with your buddies at your local club world you're going to be just fine if you're putting in the time and the effort and have confidence in your equipment you're going to be right where you need to be and the only thing that was holding back a few of the people that I did meet over these past weeks And a couple of them were students because I had several classes. A couple of them were students. And it's pretty consistent. The people that just want to do it their own way that's not working. And, you know, you can tell them this is what you need to do. Here's how you should do it. Right now you're doing it like this and it's not working. You need to do it this way and they'll you know it's pretty common yep yep yeah no problem for sure okay yeah i'll do it that way and then you come back five minutes later and they're right back to doing it their other way and you know i only as a coach i normally only look at that about two times and say the same thing and after that i'm done with it um and i wish you luck but The things that I talk about are things that are just continually repeating in this trade of when people are going to struggle as archers, it's because they're not willing to do this. If people are going to end up getting target panic later, it's because they're not willing to do this. And the things that I teach and the things that I talk about, I can promise you, even if you're one of the one in a million exceptions out there that can, in fact, do it your own way and, and be a world-level archer, um, even if you are that person, you could still learn something from just doing it the way that I talk about. Um, I can't say enough how important it is to to just put time behind learning a release aid with a trainer and just really understanding hand position, finger manipulation. Um, and that's why I really like my two finger release is because the less fingers you have on there, the less you have to learn that manipulation, the less that you have to understand the difference between finger one, two, three, and four. Um and then I think the less fingers you're thinking about the more you can put some time and thought into, you know, what your back's doing or what your posture's doing and I can't say enough how important it is. It's absolutely important. I saw a picture the other day, someone was literally I think sitting in an airport and had a picture of their of their release trainer just sitting there playing with that thing and hey that's a day that you probably weren't able to shoot any arrows but yet you were able to to practice you know technique and release manipulation and if you can do that then it's just as good as shooting honestly one of the things that i talked about in a post i think it was yesterday um was i made a post about Training and also R&R, rest and recuperation. One of the things that um, I learned from when I shot with Frank Zane and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it was the fact that when they were bodybuilding, they shot archery as their mental break from the monotonous training that they were doing. And the good athletes that are able to stay sharp and stay on point, they're always ones that also have a little bit of a, a break somewhere or a little something that they like doing that's outside of that. And I think that's why a lot of the people that I'm getting to work with right now, they're people who are experts in their field But they also want to find just a little something that kind of has the same types of disciplines um, that require the same amount of, well, I shouldn't say the same amount, but that they also know requires a certain amount of discipline and training and that the difficulty level is hard. Then that's why they're trying archery because they're, you know, they're wanting something that's a little bit outside of their field but also still has some of the basic principles that they personally are, you know, makes them who they are. Um, one of the things that I said the other day, I need to I need to actually look it up so I make sure I say it right. But um, I made a post the other day because a buddy of mine was making the comments that... Um, he was a little bit worried about coming out of his field of expertise uh, mainly because, you know, age was kind of forcing him to do so. And as competitors, uh, really anything in life, I shouldn't even say competitors. I know it's that way even in the workforce. I know it's that way with people that are high level executives or held a a major role somewhere and then it just gets to the point where you know new blood moves in and i'm getting to that age now you know i'm getting to the age where there's a lot of uh there's a lot of people out there that are coming into our sport that are new faces and and doing good things and it's just natural sometimes you got to move over so um, I posted a life lesson the other day on my Instagram account and pretty much um, pretty much used a photo as a segue for this message. And the photo was a photo that I had taken years ago when I was testing veins. Mm-hmm. Um, I was shooting at 50 meters, testing multiple veins. And for this particular group almost every combination was just pounding well all of them were pounding the center they were just all kind of hitting a little bit some were a little bit some were grouping um, a little bit left some were grouping a little bit higher right some were grouping lower but they all grouped so they all had um they all had good res- Well, there was one set in there if you looked hard enough that isn't as necessarily as tight as the others. But some were just uh, much tighter than others. And, but it was a group from the year that I really focused on training and being prepared for six big world events. Um, it was I really focused on being ready for one event each month for a six-month stretch. And I didn't always do that as a competitor. A lot of times I would pick and choose the events that I knew favored me the best, and I would really train and go after those events the hardest. Um, I would shoot all year long, and I would compete at tournaments every weekend. But competing at a tournament and fully training for a tournament with the mentality of I, I think this is definitely one I can win they were it was slightly different in the mentality and that's an important lesson in itself not every type of shooting style for archery favors certain people and not all um not all courses are going to favor you um depending on you know well put it this way i'm i'm tall my arrows are long and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna favor a shorter person in the wind i mean if i'm in a very open setting if i'm in very very open country and i know it's a windy area um I'm, I know I'm going to have my obstacles, especially when I'm shooting against people that are shorter to the ground or have much shorter arrows and better uh, ballistic characteristics than what I personally have. So in those types of situations, yes, I go, but I also go with the mentality of, okay, things aren't going to be in my favor this weekend. I know that, so I'm just going to mentally accept it and prepare for it, and I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm just going to go there and and do my best to, to stay in striking distance and let the cards fall where they may. And then if they didn't fall in my favor, I didn't let it derail me mentally for the rest of my season. Um, an example of that is out in Arizona. The Arizona Cup is oftentimes extremely windy at the time we shot at you know longer distances 70 meters 90 meters uh wasn't the 50 meter rounds that it is today and yeah there were certainly times where i knew this is just not going to be good for me um this is this is a very very windy day it's not favoring me at all. I'm just going to struggle here getting blown around with my size and obviously my arrows at that distance are going to going to struggle compared to other people that are built for this a little bit better. But there were also times where I would go to a to a certain range or a certain course and I would look at the hills, I would look at you know the just the conditions and realize okay i'm already i already know 10 people i can check off the list that's going to shoot good in these conditions because they're just not physically ready for it um same same is true on hunts you know there's definitely been hunts where i've gone and been in a camp where there's multiple guys and everyone's kind of hunting the same area, so to speak, but they're, um, you know, everyone's kind of hunting on their own. Yeah. And there's been areas where I've just got there and thought, okay, well, I know I'm going to be one of the only people that are going to be up there, um, at least with this group. So I think if you can, if you can look at that as a competitor, it'll help you because you're not going to be mentally crushing yourself when you don't, uh, when you don't, do awesome all the time you need to be able to accept the times where things aren't favoring you do your best to overcome the odds and you'll feel good about it i mean when i won the arizona cup you know i definitely was excited about it because i wasn't expecting it um i was uh, well i kind of got lucky with the fact of what the weather did during the finals because during the qualifications, it really was beating me bad. But then I got lucky right during the finals. The the weather at least got tolerable for me to be able to, to make my shots and do what I needed to do. But in this um, photo that I took, it was during a year where I was 100% committed to six big events. And... I shot a lot of arrows that year, a lot. Um, Some days I would shoot 500. Some days, you know, it may just be 100. Um, Travel days, I know I logged just under 40,000 or right around 40,000 arrows that year. And that's with travel days. So, you know, people kind of said, well, it's not that, you know, it's 100 and something arrows a day. Which, you know, that is actually a pretty good pace. Um, but, you know, you, what you got to do is you got to factor in okay, if I'm at a tournament, I may only be shooting 300 arrows the entire three day weekend between official practice, shooting around, and then shooting in the finals. It might not be that many. So, on those days, the averages drop way down in numbers, and then there's travel days to and from. So then you start to look at, okay, really, if we get down in the nuts and bolts of it, he's really training three out of seven days. He's training hard, three you know three to four competing for two and a half um and then really full travel day day and a half travel that was pretty much what my time frame was like and i really went after it and that picture kind of really shows when you're a hundred percent on your game as an archer what you're capable of and that's what the picture showed but in my post what i said was um this is one of my favorite personal picks after a day of vigorous testing um About 40,000 arrows logged that year. This was my last year of shooting for the U.S. team, and I shot until my fingers bled on some days. But if I'm honest, I knew deep down it was my last hurrah. Life is full of forks in the roads and unopened doors. And as competitors, it's often hardest to see a way to move on from the competitive trail. But I can assure you the work ethic of champions offers limitless opportunities. I thought that was an important message because my buddy was, you know, just kind of talking with me about the fact that he didn't really know what he was going to do after. And I just wanted to make sure he knew you're going to be totally fine, man, because you work hard. And this is probably the perfect way to end this podcast is to give people out there the motivation of no wonder, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're doing, if you have a hard work ethic and you're a hundred percent focused, you're dedicated to what you're, to what you're doing, regardless of whether it's your sport, whether it's training for a shoot or, you know, whether it's just doing your job or being a you know being a, a a parent or a role model if you have work ethic and you're just grinding constantly you're going to always be okay i find that as as an athlete who sometimes Really looks for people to train with on occasion, as a hunter uh, who shares a lot of camps with people, and also as someone who really, really needs um, help in, you know, in in business as well. Just because right now, you know, we we're growing so fast um, that Sharon and I are just barely able to to keep our head above water and i'm not complaining about that i think it's great um but you know we do need to be able to have support and it's really hard to find good work from people because people just don't necessarily have the type of work ethic um that i gravitate towards and i can tell you that If you're a person that has that and you know deep down that 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 is you, if you're in a field right now where you've been competing and you know that those days are coming to an end, um, if you're working hard, you're going to get after it at the next thing. Like, you don't even need to sweat that. Or if you're someone out there who knows deep down that they get after it and you and you you're someone who's self-motivated then if you're sitting on the fence right now about doing your own thing and starting your own thing then i'm gonna just tell you if you're willing to work hard you can do whatever you want no question i have now that i've i guess seen knock-on grow to what it has and then also you know knock-on is one entity but i also have another one which is jda international just john dudley archery that's kind of when i left matthews and started working for myself that's literally what i started and everything that i did within the archery world whether it was um Doing ad buys, or whether it was being a sales rep, or whether it was managing people's pro staff, because I did different things for a l- for about nine companies. Um, they were all slightly different tasks. Some some were just literally bird dogging things from from people high up in the company that just needed the right person to assist them in. Following things through and running stuff down and figure out what the best options for them were um sometimes that was my role, but I can tell you as long as you're getting after it uh following through with what you're with what you say, and if you're if you're not gonna be able to get it done, just taking ownership for that and and saying listen." I'm not going to be able to get this done. I either need help or I, um, or you just need to know I'm not going to get it done. I've I've tried to, but, but I can't. Taking ownership for it or telling people it's your fault. Um, if it is your fault, then all that stuff is absolutely important. And if you're able to do those little things in life, you can do whatever you want. I mean you really can there's so much opportunity in this world to to get out there and do something you love as long as you're willing to get after it but the one thing I will tell you is on the flip side of that the people that just continually have nothing um and I guess I don't shouldn't be judgmental that way because they you know they may have something but um the people that just continually end up being the, I don't know, the people with quote-unquote bad luck or the people who always don't really have something that's, you know, in good shape. Someone who's always kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the right way to put it is, but it just seems like those people, they all have very, very similar traits it's small little things like you know they complain about you know their car won't start that day but then you look at their car and you can tell you know they haven't rotated their tires and 30,000 miles you know they're who knows when the last time they got their oil change was you know some mouse chewed their starter and they couldn't get to work that day and then got fired but yet you know they've got mcdonald's bags crammed in the back seat knee-deep, so no wonder there's rats living in there. I mean, those types of tendencies and qualities, they just parallel one another. And when you're lazy and put things off, then your luck just goes down the shitter. That's just how, how it works. I feel like you can make yourself lucky when you're constantly... Just doing things, you know, staying on top of maintenance, um, getting up early, even if even if you don't necessarily have anything to do, just being ready for the day. And then you never know when that call might come and someone needs help. And because you've got that extra time, you're able to do it. And then all of a sudden, bam, here's this door that's open for you. And, you know, next thing you know, you've got the best job that you've ever had or maybe the fact that you're you know getting up a little bit early for the first time is letting you put more more thought and effort into um, you know doing something that you really wanted to do on your own you know start your own little business or do something on the side and I think all that's all that's important I had another conversation with a, one of my buddies the other day um, he had made a comment to me that um, he was never getting a call back um for something. He was trying to get a he's trying to get a certain um he was trying to get a manufacturer to give him parts for a product that he was making. And he kept saying, um, uh, which I've heard him say it several times, they're not they never get back to me, they never reply, um, you know, they never have any interest in sending me that and I had to just make the reply like listen dude there's nothing stopping you from going out and buying that your product needs that in order to be better so do you want your product better or do you like do you want your product better and more consistent because if you do then you need to buy this in order to know that it works on that And if you're just going to continually wait around until that person that's in that role or that company decides to give you something that's going to make your product better, like that's never going to happen. That doesn't happen. There's very, you know, it'd be one thing if your best friend was within that other company and said, yeah, I really want, um, you know, I really want my buddy to have a flourishing business so I'm just going to go ahead and send them this thing but the reality is they're in their own problems too and they're not going to rush out and go out of their way to to let you start a business that's going to be better what needs to happen is you need to say this is what I want to do I'm going to just go out and I'm going to buy it and then I'm going to I'm going to have a better product than what I have now And when I have better products, more people are going to buy them. And when more people are buying them, more people are talking about them. That's what happened with me and these knock-on arrows. Do you think they gave me these arrows? Do you think think Easton came to me and said, we want to give knock-on their own arrows? Hell no, they didn't say that. You know, I had to actually go to them with a plan, with a proposal and with a buttload of money to say, listen, all I know, all I know is I want to have my own arrow and I'm going to I'm literally going to put everything up front to do that and make that happen. You know, and that's why um, that's why it's it's tough for me. With some of our stuff, you know, I I know that there's some dealers out there that are upset because we don't necessarily sell to dealers. But I'm I'm literally doing everything I can to keep up with consumers because everything we have, every single thing that knock on has, the releases, the rests, the veins, the arrows, the right releases. I write a check for the second it hits my door. And if I can't pay for it, then I don't buy it. So I'm not asking favors. I'm not waiting for this stuff to come to me. You know, with the Express Bow Press, when I when I got all those, I went to Express, took them a proposal of exactly how many I was willing to to take in order to make that deal happen. And I literally created our own outcome by being by you know by being progressive and by taking initiative and and making it happen. If you're going to sit around and wait, sorry to tell you, but it's probably not going to happen. If you're struggling with target panic, it's not going to take care of itself. If you know deep down that when you go to a tournament you have a different type of shot and you feel anxiety and you're forcing shots and you're a different person than when you're shooting alone in the backyard, then ask yourself the question, are you shooting a silverback or a hinge release in the backyard but then you're taking a trigger release to the tournament? I mean, I had a friend that literally knows the right way to shoot 100% 100% spent time with them, teaching them the proper ways to shoot, and then shows up to a hunt that I'm on with a wrist, tra- wrist strap release and out there, you know, banging the trigger and has a shitty hunt. And there's nothing to blame other than the fact that you know deep down th- the proper way to do things. And if you're not willing to do it that way, then. You can't be surprised by a less than stellar result because that's just what's going to happen. No question about it. So with that said, I am going to get this podcast loaded. I'm going to get out there and I've got two more bows I have to get finished before this weekend. I'm going to be in California just so anyone listening today is Tuesday July 22nd on July 28th I will be at performance archery in San Diego giving well on Sunday I give private lessons to a few guys on Saturday we are doing a parking lot meet and greet I've got Hoo-wee, is it going to be fun? I've got Chad Ward coming in. Whiskey Bent Barbecue is going to come just to cook for this event for me. Thank you, Chad. Killcliff is going to be coming in, providing drinks in the parking lot. Uh, Shazzy Fresh, Little Dud, they'll be there hanging out. Several of my other buddies will be there hanging out. And you'll also be able to uh, to take part in several cool activities uh, and sales at the shop. So Bob Fromm's a great guy. Need to get him on here. Actually, need to get him on the podcast. He's a cool, cool cat. You're gonna like. You're gonna like talking to him. Um, but yeah, that's the plan this weekend. So if you're in California, you might want to think about it. 28th is going to be quite the parking lot party and that is by the way my last my last appearance for 2018 um because guess what right now today marks exactly one month from when i'll be in alberta blowing my bugle and drawing back broadheads on some of the amazing beasts up there so this weekend is going to be my last uh my last public deal for the year and then i'm going to be getting after it my schedule then is is hunts and videos uh, tutorials and all that good stuff so can't wait we'll have some more podcasts coming up um, and we'll go from there appreciate you all knock on everybody be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com